perpetual traveler through the Bible. Please join me for this bird's eye view of the scriptures. Stay as long as you like and let us together discover a bit more about the Bible from the beginning to the end. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy are called by many Bible expositors the Old Testament's five steps to maturity. Maturity is the reflection in the life of any believer of the image and character of Jesus Christ. It is explained in Ephesians 4 verses 13 to 15 which says, To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. What this passage tells us is that the revelation that the Bible brings is designed to mature us so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that blows. As sons and daughters of God, we begin to know where we are going, where we have come from, and why we are here. We are moving very quickly through the Bible. It is only the seventh episode of this series of podcasts, and we are already approaching the end of the Pentateuch. I would just like to remind you that the purpose of this series of podcasts is to treat the entire Bible like scanning a map just before setting out on a journey. We are surveying the whole of the Bible and discovering the central themes common to every book. During the last podcast, we learned about the books of Exodus and Leviticus. Exodus is the book about God's response to the need of man that the book of Genesis centered around. Leviticus is the book of access to God, in other words, of instruction in how to worship Him and have a life of worship. Leviticus has three important principles, representation, adequacy, and expression. No one in the nation of Israel was allowed into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, except the high priest, and when he did, he represented the whole nation. This is a picture or a shadow of what Christ did for us. He died for us, and we died with Him, and all of our victory rests upon our ability to appropriate the work of Jesus, who is our representative. The opening seven chapters of Leviticus introduce five offerings, and each offering is a picture of Jesus Christ in His death for us. Each offering shows us how a basic need of human life is fully met in what Jesus has already done. There is nothing we will ever run to which hasn't already been taken care of by God. This is the adequacy of God's provision. Finally, Leviticus is the book of access to God, or the instruction of how to worship. Worship is nothing more than laying hold of God and expressing that through our lives. The next book we are looking at is the book of Numbers, the book of the wilderness of failure. Numbers 13 verses 26 tells us that They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh Barnea. They brought back word to them 
and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. So the book of Numbers begins at Kadesh Barnea, right at the edge of the promised land. When we get to the end of the book of Numbers, we are back at Kadesh Barnea again. Numbers 32 verses 8 says, Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. No progress had been made whatsoever. In between Numbers 13 and Numbers 32, there are 40 years of wandering in the desert. God's intention for the Hebrews was that they spend 40 days between the edge of Egypt and the border of the land. However, because of unbelief, they wandered for 40 years. 40 years of complaining, heat and blistering sand, and of harking back to the joys that they thought they had known in Egypt and wanting to be back there. In other words, barrenness and defeat. In spite of all the wonderful instructions the Israelites had in Leviticus and the adequate provision already given to them entirely by God so that they might enjoy His presence among them, when we read Numbers, we see nothing but absolute failure because of the ignorance of the people. This is unbelievable. How is it that people can read the Bible for years, go to a Bible school, attend a Bible church, and even train as a pastor, and yet sometimes, after years of this kind of clear instruction in the truth, they remain helpless when it comes to walking in victory, as if they hadn't learned anything at all. Why does this happen? It happens because there has been no appropriation of all we have learned. We have not acted upon it at all. This is the story of Numbers. It is the record of the failure of God's people to act on what God had told them and it is a record of their wandering in the wilderness. However, it is also a record of God's fatherly care over them in love despite their human failure. So Numbers is the book of weakness and failure. The wilderness is the experience of attempting to carry out the worship of Leviticus in the strength of the flesh, the effort of the natural heart. The result is wandering. Finally, we come to the book of Deuteronomy. The name Deuteronomy means second law. It comes from the Greek word deuter, meaning second, and nomas, meaning law. In other words, the second law. You might be asking, why was the law given again? If you read the book, you will discover that it is indeed the second recounting of the law. It begins with a marvelous message by Moses, reviewing all of God's love and blessings to the people. Then the major part of the book is a resume of the law. Then the book closes with a wonderful message from Moses, which is a revelation of the marvelous blessings that are in store. But why was the law recounted again? The answer can be found in Galatians 3 verses 23 to 26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. The law has a purpose in our lives. The law was our schoolmaster or guardian in this version, to bring us to Christ. It is when the law says, You shall not covet, you shall not steal, 
you shall not commit adultery, and so on, that we become aware for the first time of the hungering to do these things and of our rebellious attitude towards anyone who says, No, you cannot. It is then that we become aware that we not only cannot do these things, but that we really do not want to. It makes us cry out in desperation for a Savior, for the Redeemer. So the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. This is also the message of the first two chapters of Romans. And just like Numbers, in chapter 7 of Romans, the law comes in again. Why the second time? Well, the first time was to teach us that we are sinful. The second time is to teach us that we are helpless. Despite the fact that we have a redeemed nature and that we want then to do the will of God, we still cannot do it. We are totally and absolutely helpless. This is what God accomplished in the book of Deuteronomy. For forty years Israel wandered in the wilderness, until at last they learned they could do nothing until the old generation died. When the new generation came to be, God reminded them of what he had done, and he gave them the law again. What did the Israelites say at Mount Sinai? Exodus 19 verses 8 tells us that. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 5 verses 23 to 27 and 7 verses 17, more than 40 years later, their response is entirely different when the law is recounted to them. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still live. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of fire as we have and has still lived? Go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and do it. If you say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how shall I dispossess them? This time, the response of the people was, We don't have what it takes to do this. They were then finally ready to be led into the land by Joshua. By the way, Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. Do you see the connection here? When we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we find that at last God has prepared his people for that which he wanted to give all along. The whole five books of Moses are to bring the people to the edge of the land. Moses could not take them in because Moses represents the law. Romans 8 verses 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, God prepared us, through Moses, and made us aware of our helplessness to enter the promised land ourselves. And when we realized it, he sends Joshua, that is Jesus, to lead us into that land. In Deuteronomy, beginning in chapter 29, 
Moses encourages the people to listen to the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded him to make with them. Deuteronomy 30 verses 19 to 20 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Notice the part that says, For he is your life and length of days. This should sound familiar to you. This is the new covenant as expressed in Colossians 3 verses 4. That verse says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. When we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, we can understand what God will do with a heart which is ready to rest in the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 33 verses 29 says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. The book of Deuteronomy closes with the people ready for Joshua. That is the Pentateuch. These five books give us the fivefold pattern of God's program. You will find these same five steps over and over again throughout scriptures, for this is the way God works. Firstly, there is an awareness of our need. Secondly, a picture of God's activity in moving to meet that need. In other words, His response in redemption. Thirdly, the instruction in how to worship and how to approach God. Fourthly, our inevitable failure on our part to do so. Fifthly, culminating at last in the arrival at the place where self-effort ends and the law shows us our helplessness until we say, Lord, on my own, I can't do a thing. And God declares, Good, that is right where I have been wanting to bring you. Now I will begin to move through you to do it in you, and thus accomplish it all. This is David Wiles, your fellow Travelling Christ, and this has been the podcast of the Bible from the beginning to the end, Episode 7.